In today's episode, I have the pleasure of hosting an OT that is now confidently embracing the titles of pelvic floor therapist, birth doula, author, mentor, sexuality coach, and entrepreneur. Get ready, folks, because this interview is jam-packed with all kinds of amazingness, and I can't wait for you to tune in. Welcome to the OT's Gone Rogue podcast, where we share real stories about real OTs who are choosing to think outside the box and do things differently. I'm your host, Melissa LaPointe. Over the years, I've had the pleasure of connecting with the most remarkable therapists who are finding their way as thought leaders, change makers, and heart-led entrepreneurs. They've helped to inspire me to think big and dig deep in my own healing journey. And it's now time to bring these conversations to a bigger stage. Together, we're going to share stories about overcoming adversity, finding our people, and taking the road less traveled, even when it feels messy and uncomfortable. Okay, are you ready to join us? This is the OT's Gone Rogue podcast. Hey everyone, Melissa LaPointe here, and welcome to another episode of the OT's Gone Rogue podcast. Today, I'm interviewing a very special guest, Sujata Martin, an OT based out of Buffalo, New York. Our conversation is a great example of all the different ways we can show up as OTs in the world of women's health. After listening to this episode, I guarantee that you're going to be inspired in thinking outside the box when it comes to having a bigger impact on your audience and reaching more people. So without further ado, let's roll out this interview. Okay, welcome Sujata to the OT's Gone Rogue podcast. I am super excited to have you here and to be jumping in. There's so many things we can talk about. Yes. So let's start by just sharing a little bit about who you are and where you are geographically in the world. Sure. Um, hi, everyone listening. Uh, my name is Sujata Martin. I am a pelvic floor occupational therapist based out of Buffalo, New York. So kind of bordering Canada. I offer services in person here in Buffalo and also virtually throughout the state. I was trained in India and technically I can practice there. So I do offer virtual services in India as well. And besides virtual occupational therapy services. I do offer sexuality coaching across borders. So that's who I am and that's what I do. And I'm so happy to be here. My goodness. I need to peel back a layer on. So tell me more about sexuality coaching. That is the first time I've heard reference or or that term before and for someone who lives in the coaching world Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated so can we start there what what do you mean what paint the picture fill the gap what is sexuality coaching yeah so I like to I call it sexuality coaching first of all to differentiate it just from sex coaching a lot of people do sex coaching and it usually tends to be targeted just towards women and um, with primary goals of again rekindling their sex life or you know enjoying their sex lives more or connecting with their sexual sides which obviously is also important so very important but I think we are losing out such a big 
chunk like some things that really you know kindle like that flame in me is helping people connect with their sexuality and people including for instance people on the spectrum say identifying sexual feelings you know how to develop sexual relationships people with disabilities how to feel confident when entering into um sexual relationships like navigating bumble or tinder or how to start dating through doing those aspects of where i'm not talking necessarily about sex or how to feel more comfortable in the bedroom but even just understanding what are my preferences what do i look for in a partner how can i connect with this person on um of course on the level of sexuality but also what kind of things am i looking for in an individual so really kind of bringing um that ot part of our training of analyzing the person their goals where they are and where they want to be and bring them into the realm of sexuality and relationships and of course i work in my pelvic floor um therapy work i work with lots of women and pri- i primarily focus on women i have seen the one off male client but women are my focus i have seen women who struggle in sexual relationships so again beside so they are a part of that practice but i call it sexuality coaching versus sex coaching because i do want to embrace that aspect of you know this is not just for that cis woman who is trying to find a spark in her relationship i'm trying to reach that mother of a teenage daughter who wants her daughter to have a quote unquote normal dating relationship when her daughter has a special needs diagnosis um you know so that that's what i like doing that's what i enjoy doing in addition to conventional pelvic floor therapy oh my goodness we have already you have just elevated this conversation to one of professional crush. <laughs> oh, such great stuff. Now, before we started recording this episode, I had mentioned that I remember when you were first posting in our Women's Health OT group around the work that you were doing as a birth doula, and your work has certainly evolved since then. Tell me a little bit more about the transition and the fact that you talk about a mind-body approach to treating pelvic floor conditions as a pelvic floor therapist. You know, that also caught my attention. So tell me about that transition and starting with when you were a birth doula, were you doing that work with the intentions of bringing that over to pelvic floor therapy or is that what ignited the spark for pelvic floor therapy I'll definitely say it's more of the latter honestly I began doing this work over 3 years ago and I feel embarrassed to say but I had no idea of pelvic floor therapy I just knew when I underwent my whole transformation because honestly if you carry a child within yourself if you give birth there is no way for a person to remain unchanged you are going to change you are going to change physically you are going to change emotionally and i found that where i lived in western new york there weren't a whole lot of resources to help women along in that transition and 
I was like, how do I fill this gap, you know, for myself and for other people like me who want some support, who don't want to feel completely rudderless in this time in their lives. And the only option I found was being a doula. And I absolutely loved it. I uh, did my birth doula certification. I attended births. At this point in time, I'm not attending births actively just because of scheduling it was Mm. hard to have like a regular clinic schedule while being on call for a birth so I've that has taken a back seat but I'm really I'm kind of working out an arrangement because I love being at births the kind of it really is an oxytocin high if you are with a birthing woman there are very few like times of you know, the kind of power, the kind of hormonal rush you feel just by being present in that room. And this is no matter what kind of birth, it can be a hospital birth, it can be a home birth. The experience you have is like unmatchable. So even for my just my own selfish reasons of experiencing that, oh my goodness, women are so powerful feeling. Um, I want to do births again. I just am trying to smooth out a few things before jumping back into birth work. But so I began as a doula. And then I slowly realized that, hey, I cannot use my OT training in helping these women have slightly better outcomes. Like I would see how they were working out during pregnancy, or I would see certain positions they were trying to labor in. While yes, I could make certain recommendations. I could not say things like, okay, your provider, whatever she just said is BS. You know, I had to be as a doula, a completely impartial, non-medical support person. And that's what led me to pelvic floor therapy. I briefly considered midwifery, um, but I was like, you know, I don't want to abandon OT. I really, really enjoy what I do. There has to be a better way. So from birth doula, I considered midwifery very briefly and then very happily ran into the work that you do. And um, Lindsay Vestal, she does a lot of work in the realm of pelvic floor therapy and OT. And I came across those groups on Facebook and then jumped right in and here I am. So it has been quite the beautiful process where one thing has just flowed into the other. And we talked about sexuality briefly. That came up, came off um, because there was one, uh, once I can't remember which group, it was an occupational therapy networking group and an OT based in, a, in Australia, excuse me, was asking about um, a pediatric client of 16 years old who was on the spectrum and had a horrible experience with her first OBGYN exam. So kind of helping her navigate that situation, you know, drew me to helping families with that because Believe it or not, that is not an isolated case. You know, kids on the spectrum need well GYN care. Often GYN providers don't know how to navigate that. Families have a hard time navigating those situations and having those conversations. So it's really like flowed, you know, one thing to the other. So it's been quite the process and it's been wonderful. Mm, Fabulous stuff. Now, one of the pieces that... I wanted to highlight. So I love how I've heard you reference not just looking at or preparing for childbirth, but really understanding how we can equip our clients for the birthing year. Yes. And when I when I saw you reference the birthing year, 
Again, mm-hmm. there was, you know, that little fist pump, like, yes, we're <laughs> talking about that a little bit more. So can you speak to the emotional? So you've referenced emotional preparation resources and what you can do to help people for the birthing year. Can you mm-hmm. break that down a little more for us? Sure. I really say the birthing year because, again, a lot of resources we find in this niche are directed towards pregnancy, like pregnancy, fitness, pregnancy, wellness, birth prep, like childbirth classes, and it stops at that. Like the baby comes out, we are done. We completely drop the ball in caring for the new parent right afterwards. So bringing that third trimester in, sorry, the fourth trimester in to the conversation, adding on those three months to the nine months and thinking of the whole year, because honestly, the mother and baby are inseparable. They are a unit. And for that unit to thrive, we have to meet both their needs and in the whole year, during pregnancy and postpartum. So for emotional preparation resources, I strongly urge my clients to consider, you know, okay, once birth is done, what are we going home to? What does your support network look like? I know most of us in these times don't have that luxury of a village, you know, we have all heard it takes a village. But we may not have the luxury of that. Okay, so what does your support system look like? Do you have a partner who can take time off of work? If not, can you have, do you have friends who can come maybe once a week, sit with you for a couple hours or sit and watch the baby for a couple hours while you nap or shower or, you know, just do your thing or take a short trip outside the house so that you are, you know, not living in that four walls all the time. So something else I have them consider is, do you have a history of um, mood disorders? And again, educating them that if they have certain risk factors, such as being a single parent or a teenage parent or a parent who has a history of substance dependence or a history of um, mood disorders, the risk of having postpartum mood uh, conditions increases. So education on those lines, helping them prepare, pre-plan for postpartum during pregnancy is so, so important. And also educating them that they are not less than if they need support, that they are not quote-unquote dysfunctional, if they are having shifts in their mood that they did not anticipate. And again, putting it in the context of giving birth, no matter if you're birthing vaginally or if you're birthing via cesarean, you are losing a lot of blood. The hormonal flux that happened in late pregnancy is going to crash. The hormones in your body are going to change and flow depending on if you're choosing to lactate or not. And all those changes are going to affect your mood, are going to affect how you feel as a person. Not just that, I do not know a single parent who feel, who says they get all the sleep they need in the first three months. So just sleep deprivation is going to change how you feel. So having those discussions during pregnancy when you don't have the pressure of caring for a newborn is so important. So that's how I like to help my clients prepare for postpartum for that birthing year. Mm. I hope that answered the question. It did. And highlights so many pieces of the puzzle that really 
I, I mean, I've heard that again and again. It takes a village. It takes a village. But the mm-hmm. reality, and this was before the pandemic, the reality is for many women, for many families, they are relocating to different places in the world where they don't have that village or they may be in a community where they have not established that village. And now we're in a pandemic where, again, we have to be careful with telling women all the time, oh, it takes a village, it takes a village, because that adds Mm -hmm. a layer of pressure when they're looking around and thinking, oh, it takes a village and I don't have one, so I'm doomed. Yes, exactly. So again, setting expectations, right? So again, check rounding back on the support system and you know, hey, it's okay if we don't get the laundry done. It's okay if we order takeout every night. It's setting expectations, right? Um, Taking into consideration whether that village exists or not, you know, and not being hesitant to leverage whatever little bit of a village you may have. I'm a big fan of meal trains. If you have even like one good friend or even just doing it yourself, having someone sign up even just one meal a week takes so much pressure off. So yes, just adapting our postpartum situations to the kind of support networks we have is so important to emotional health. Mm -hmm. Sujata, can you speak to, so with your training in pelvic floor therapy, Obviously, you are able to support clients in terms of rehab, in terms Mm -hmm. of dysfunction, in terms of challenges. But you are also a big advocate for helping women to gain strength and confidence in their core and pelvic floor. So the prehab piece, how do you integrate prehab? How do you integrate being proactive into your practice, into the work that you're doing? Yeah, Melissa, I strongly market my wellness services, which is when no dysfunction exists. And I try to tell people, you know, when you are healthy is the best time to take action. Most professionals that I come across, at least in my geographical area, say things like, I will help you with leaking. I will help your prolapse. I will help you get back to fitness. You know, why are we not teaching women the things they need to do to minimize their chances of getting there, to minimize their chances of developing leaking or developing prolapse or developing pelvic pain? We need to give women resources to help prevent that. So in my private practice, I run workshops. I actually have one coming up this weekend, which is sold out. Every few months, I will run a workshop um, where it's it's called Not Just Kegels, like my book. It's um, Not Just Kegels, the guide to preparing for birthing and postpartum. Because again, the conventional wisdom is you're having a baby, do 100 Kegels a day, you're going to be fine. That's the best you can do for your pelvic floor. And I try to correct that misconception by actively marketing that to my local community. And again, the beauty of the pandemic being that because now everything is online, I'm able to reach women outside of my geographical area. Can just um, I try and take opportunities such as this, talking to 
people like you, Melissa, who have a wide audience, who can get that message out there is also a big piece of my advocacy. It's about, again, getting the message out there that we don't have to wait for illness and dysfunction. We can take care of ourselves. Kind of similar to if you consider rehab or actually prehab in any other setting. Uh, In the US now, it is almost standard of care for an individual who is scheduled for a total knee replacement or a total hip replacement to get a couple weeks of therapy before they go in for the procedure. I'm not sure how it is for listeners um, that are, you know, tuned in to now, but Typically in the US, that's what's happening is someone does therapy for a couple of weeks, has their procedure and does therapy afterwards. And it's really my message to everyone that this is the standard of care for orthopedics. This should be the standard of care for maternity care. And I do that through the channels I have, such as speaking with, um, you know, industry professionals like you, Melissa, and also through my blog, through my business, where I market to the audience, to my community directly, and also to professionals like doulas, lactation consultants, yoga therapists, midwives, and OBGYNs. That's how I try and get that message out. And the other way I realized I could do this is, um, it was totally unexpected, um, the consequence of this action but I used to have this booklet I would give to all the registrants at my workshop and I realized that hey this needs to be out there this information that during pregnancy you can do more than kegels I wanted to put this message out there so I just took the transcript I would give to my workshop attendees beefed it up and put it on Amazon as an ebook and surprisingly, you know, completely unexpectedly, it did really well. So for whoever's interested, not just Kegels is out there on Amazon. Um, It helps women proactively strengthen their core, strengthen their pelvic floors, you know, during pregnancy and early postpartum to reduce their chances of arriving in that area of dysfunction where they have leaking or pain or prolapse. Mm. Now, I want to explore that a little more with you. So coming back to being an author, coming back to publishing your book, is that something, so if we were to rewind three years ago, did Mm -hmm. you see becoming an author? Did you see writing a book in your future? Was that something that was on your goal list? Not at all. And, uh, you know, this is very funny, Melissa. I From learning about you through your website, through your podcast, through your social media, I know you are a very um, meticulous and you're a business person who plans everything out you know I would like to call myself the accidental entrepreneur you know (laughs) I'm I'm laughing because apparently my um I appreciate that you feel as though things are meticulous and well planned out my my (laughs) my husband who sees the behind the scenes would laugh out loud hearing that But that's okay. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Yeah, it's clearly working well, Melissa. (laughs) So I'm quite the opposite. Like I said, I'm the accidental entrepreneur. I only began my business because no one in my area would hire an OT. 
and I just wanted to say, okay, well, I'm going to just do my own thing. And like you said, three years back, I had no idea I would go ahead to write a book that would list as number one on Amazon's pregnancy and childbirth list. I had absolutely no idea. All I wanted to do was straight pelvic floors and no one would hire me. They asked me questions like, well, how can an OD do this? I thought only PTs can do this. And I just started out on my own. And just like almost everything else, it has slowly evolved into its own thing. Even the book was completely organic. It was a bunch of resources I would share at these workshops. I've been doing them since 2018. So going into a third year now, and I've compiled all those resources, added some more information on and put it out there. And clearly Amazon thought it was a good enough resource. And it listed like, Number one, for four days running, which I'm so proud of. And again, I wish I had some great tips to share about how to be a number one author on Amazon, but I do not, (laughs) except write something you're passionate about. And I don't know if people care about it enough, it'll do well, I suppose. I don't know if that's helpful. Well, I think I think that also speaks to when we recognize there's a problem and we attempt to solve it. And, you know, for anyone listening to this interview, publishing your book, putting your book on Amazon was not your first kick at the can in terms of getting this work out, in terms of trying to reach more people. So I, I think that's another message that I'm hoping people are hearing is that it does take perseverance. It does take a certain level of resilience. And it does, you know, again, that you leaned into something that was lighting you up. But you were also receiving some validation from people in your practice that, hey, this information that you're covering in the workshop is really valuable. You know, there, there was something that was motivating you to put yourself out there, which is not for the faint of heart. You know, when we take something that we have created from the heart and then we do put something out there, in your experience with Amazon, it was really well received. For others, sometimes it's not as well received, But I want to Mm. highlight that doesn't mean it's not of value. Just sometimes we have to tweak our messaging. But this is something you've been doing for a while with your practice. Yeah. Yes, that is very true, Melissa. And I would not have been able to put it that way, but you are so right. Just like you said, it is not something that, you know, is like, it's not the first run. I have developed this idea over three years and it's a culmination of a lot of work. So yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, let's speak. So let's speak a little bit more about your practice. So who are, what types of services are you offering? And do you, how do you see them? Do you go to them? Do they come to you? So tell us a little bit more about your practice. Mm -hmm. So right now I do mostly in-person visits. They come to me. I have two locations in my city and I kind of, um, in retrospect, I realize it kind of defines my practice style. One of my offices is located in a yoga studio, which has very strong foundations in social justice, um, in providing equitable access to health and wellness. This studio is known for um, providing no cost and sliding scale services to people who can't afford it. And I love their messaging. They are very body positive. They talk to a wide 
audience of people their message being that you know yoga is not just for the thin uh, thin skinny person who can fit in yoga pants you know yes. um so i love their messaging i love what they do so one of my offices is located there and i also practice out of an obgyn office who also are known in my in my community for providing empowering care for allowing mothers to take control of their pregnancy and birthing decisions so kind of combining you know while being in the medical model i also very very strongly root towards you know wellness approaches and using meditation and mindfulness and spirituality in healing also speaking to the mind body kind of healing that we spoke about a little while back so i see people physically in these two locations there still are some clients who prefer to do virtual sessions because they are pregnant or because they have a little one you know and they're afraid to see someone in person i do virtual care as well that is my pelvic floor therapy work i also provide wellness care in the sense of providing birth preparation services i call it the strong start program it's basically a four visit bundle where i meet with women three times during pregnancy helping them understand the changes occurring in their body what's going to happen in birth how they can prepare their bodies through core and pelvic floor exercises and how they can prepare their mind through affirmations through almost role playing birth scenarios and enacting how they will how they want to you know that how they want that scenario to play out we talk about postpartum preparation things to look out for and then we meet once in early postpartum to again assess where they are how their pelvic floors are doing how they are feeling in their minds about being a mother and how they feel in their body so i provide that kind of wellness care and that has been mostly virtual during this pandemic because again mothers pregnant mothers are a high risk category so the clients i've had have been virtual for that and i also have offered um sexuality coaching which has been virtual again with the coaching realm being not bound by licenses i've had clients out of state and i've also had recently i'm nowhere near your level melissa of being a business coach but i do um, offer mentoring services i've had a couple new grad ot's reach out to me i had a pt reach out to me and i do uh, mentoring calls with them about how to start off in this realm and again um, similar to what you pointed out the kind of uh, person who reaches out to me for mentoring is someone who does want to combine that birth work with women's health so that's that's what i do besides again um besides reaching i in my non ot work excuse me while the world was normal quote and quote i um was very active in my birth community um i was i would run monthly meetups for pregnant and postpartum women and this was again my way of giving back to the community i would not advertise myself as a therapist or anyone i it was peer to peer support and i would also be part of community advocacy events for better birth outcomes or for better maternal outcomes and such so 
I do a lot of things that I enjoy in the realm of women's health. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Sujata, my question in hearing about the two different locations where you're currently practicing, my question is, did the universe align and did those two locations fall on your lap, so to speak? Was there opportunity there or were you proactive? Was this part of your strategic plan to practice in two locations that again really aligned with your core values? Yeah. Um, Again, I wish I could say I was that savvy business person who had this strategic plan to target two markets. But um, unfortunately, no, that's not the correct answer. The truth is things kind of, again, just aligned and flowed into what they are now. That being said, I was very... um, I was very concrete. I was very decisive in picking out the yoga studio as one of my locations, just because I wanted to be known as the therapist um, who doesn't solely ground her work in current scientific evidence. There still are things science doesn't understand. That being said, you know, of course, I am not going to prescribe or practice things that are way out of my scope. No, but I really recognize and I have clients recognize and respect the role that their own spirituality, their own perceptions of themselves as people, as women can color their pelvic health condition. So I wanted the way I practice, which is again, looking at the person as a whole, you know, looking at their identifications of themselves, their ideas of spirituality, their, you know, emotional health. I wanted how I treat to be reflected in my practice environment. So the yoga studio was definitely a very conscious choice. The OBGYN office was a very happy coincidence. And I do take it as a compliment. I actually had them reach out to me. I had a PA from the GYN practice reach out to me on a professional networking group. So again, that goes out to how do we connect with other professionals in our community. While I'm not very active on LinkedIn and Alignable, I have profiles on them. I keep them up to date. And a physician's assistant from this GYN office reached out to me on Alignable, said, hello, we love the work you're doing. We have heard good things. Would you want to come in and meet our staff? And that went wonderfully. I will say that I did have to do a little follow through. So even though they said, wonderful, we'll be in touch, they were not in touch. So again, there is no harm in being persistent, in persist, being persistent, excuse me. And there is no harm, there is no shame in following up. I just followed back up with them two weeks later and they were just like, oh yeah, yes, let's get you a pair of keys. And that's how I am in the GYN office. Of course, I researched that office. I had heard good things about that provider. Um, the provider is a very old school in a great, good way, old school, where this provider lets labor take its course, lets their patients do what they want to do without being overbearing while being respectful. They also have a nutritionist in that office. Again, this uh, practice is known for 
being mindful of other needs of women besides their medical needs. So again, that really, you know, connected with how I feel and how I treat. So it worked out just perfectly. I couldn't have asked for a better, you know, partner, so to speak. I love hearing about your practice. This is really exciting. When you, so let's go back a little bit. So 2012. So 2012, Mm -hmm. you completed your Bachelor of OT in India, and then Mm -hmm. you did your master's in New York. Mm -hmm. Was there, I'm really curious to hear more because I'm fascinated, you know, in terms of Eastern medicine and Western medicine and, and how we can integrate the two. Was there Tell me about the difference in your training and when now recognizing it's a bachelor and a master's, mm-hmm. but two very different locations. Mm-hmm. Did you, was there a lot of overlap? Was there a lot, you know, stark contrast? Can you speak to your training background and how you integrated the two different trainings? Yeah, um, honestly, Melissa, my training in India sadly to speak, didn't have a strong basis in traditional Eastern medicine. Um, The East, it's very funny, kind of like how the West is fascinated with Eastern medicine. The East is fascinated by the West and wants to mirror what's happening here, you know? It's always the grass is greener kind of. Yes, (laughs) Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. And also, um, my training was in the largest teaching hospital in the country in India. So very cutting edge care, um, excellent medical education. So it was very grounded in Western medicine. Um, That being said, I'm trying to think, yes, my the Eastern medicine influences that I see in my practice right now are more so from my upbringing and where things like yoga or meditation or mindfulness were just things you do as part of life versus, you know, something you do to exercise or feel better. So I grew up in that culture. So I think it just came naturally to integrate those aspects into the care I provide. And honestly, the care, um, the training we receive as OTs in India is very similar to the training we receive here. The only difference being that um, I don't know what training models are like in Canada, but very similar to the UK or Europe where students after high school, they don't do four years of college and then the specialization. After high school, students just do four years of their specialization. Like you, I had a bachelor's in occupational therapy, similar to how um, I know peers who have a four years degree in midwifery or a four year degree in occupational therapy from, you know, um, various European countries. So my four year training in India was solely OT. And a lot of that was clinical experience. So this education and the training I received was very similar, but I would say I have a stronger clinical background because of being in the hospital, in the outpatient clinic, doing community-based care right from my first year of school. And um, I wish I had more formal training in Eastern medicine, but 
that is just not the fact it is just my upbringing and me then nurturing those parts of me after being a transplant to the us trying to keep like my cultural identity alive it has been a conscious effort on my part to keep those parts of my culture my identity alive and strong by formally training formally practicing and sharing those skills with my community mm. and it certainly sounds like your skills and your training and your unique approach is being well received in your community so well done yeah. for really following your heart and yes. you know really listening to that intuition to that internal guidance in terms of how you can show up as an OT Yes, yes. And I I'd also like to say Melissa, I think you spoke about this in a recent episode. There are times when we want to maybe remove ourselves from that label of OT, which I have not been afraid to do. Um for instance, I have this background in yoga and mindfulness. Again, not from taking an online training, not from doing classes, but this is how I grew up. And with this yoga studio where i have an office i lead workshops every month on mindfulness on meditation on chanting you know on things that i that are strengths for me and that i cannot necessarily label under the umbrella of ot while yes mindfulness you can use but these are ways of connecting with people that i was happy to do and the very happy consequence of that being that people know of me oh she's the therapist who also teaches meditation you know so that kind of attracts the kind of person you want to work with so that's just something i wanted to put out there that ot's should not be afraid of you know always sticking to scope of practice or this is only what i can do i just want to say you are a person outside of your ot training and don't be afraid to speak to those strengths mm. so jata as we start to wrap this up i have to ask because i'm sure many of our listeners are also wondering can you share some tips and tools for time management <laughs> <laughs> because you are doing so many fabulous things. One yes. part of the puzzle that we did not talk about is that you also have a little one at home. Yes. Yes. Um, so how are you able to balance all the different passions and work and you know yes there's there's so many different pieces to the yes. puzzle when we're when we're really doing work that lights us up how yes. are you able to do it without burning out without um unless you have found a way to clone yourself which you can <laughs> please tell me more um yeah so what what are you doing to to manage this yes so again um i wish i could say this like i had all this planned out this is how i got here but honestly melissa i was burning myself out at one point and then i had to take a minute to pause and think and see what is serving me well so i really literally in, in my planner i wrote down what makes me money what makes me happy two columns and then i put those things down cuz right now in the west or honestly in the east to an extent also we are caught in this culture of doing to where we are conditioned to think that we are only using our time valuably 
if we are doing something concrete. And if we are not constantly doing, we are wasting our time, we are losing out. That endless rat race is just something we have been so conditioned to, you know, live in. And the idea of side hustles and again with OTs reinventing themselves like you, you know, like you yourself and all the guests on this, this podcast and the listeners as well. We are constantly trying to grow our skills, grow our services, and it's very easy to get lost and spread ourselves too thin. So I just realized I have to take a step back and understand, yes, there's a million things I can do to reach my ideal client. There's a million things I can do that, you know, burn that fire inside of me. But at the end of the day, what truly makes me happy And I have to prioritize that. So what truly made me happy was being at home and doing nothing, just laying on my couch and watching Netflix and being with while cuddling with my three-year-old. And which is why I then made a blanket rule. On these days, I do absolutely no work. If an email comes through, I address it. During business hours, I found out how to use my phone in the sense of I use do not disturb mode all the time where my apps don't keep dinging. Um, I use airplane mode after like 9 p.m. Again, no notifications come through, no phone calls come through, just valuing the things that truly make me happy. Mm-hmm. And then under the list of what makes me money, I took some time to analyze where is my client finding me from? They are, are they finding me through Google searches, which is SEO? Are they finding me through word of mouth? Are they finding me through social media? And then growing those areas. And I recently, this has been a slow um, you know, process because you have to compile data over some time. I've realized that for someone such as myself who doesn't have a lot of online programming, like someone like you, Melissa, does a lot of online programming, like online coaching. That is how you render your services. For me, it's more physical. And then it made sense for me as a practitioner to focus my marketing, to focus my messaging more in my local community versus spending time on social media. Because social media can be so, so addicting, both as a user and as a creator of content. You know, that feedback loop of the likes and comments and, oh, your content is so great. It's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of making three to five posts a week, making YouTube videos, being on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and every possible platform you can be. I just had to narrow down, hey, what's making me money? And then focusing on the top two and then maybe doing three and four if I come down to it. So that's kind of how I have learned to manage my time. Mm. I love that. Those were some really concrete tips that I think a lot of people will resonate with. And for those of you who are multitasking and who are on social media while listening to this, I hope that you rewind (laughs) and, and really listen to what Sujata had to share because time is a finite resource that we cannot get back. And we really want to be intentional with where we are showing up. 
And when we are showing up on social media as professionals, that means we are not there all the time scrolling our feed. It means when we are there, we are clear on what we're doing, we are utilizing it as a tool, and then we're getting off. So thank you for reminding us of that. Yes. And honestly, I need to remind that myself all the time, you know. Oh, so do I. I could do a podcast episode on social media addiction. I should do a podcast episode on social media addiction. Yes. Sujatik, as we are closing off this interview, where can people find you? And of course, I will put these links in our show notes, whether it is for professional mentoring, whether it is for a copy of your book, or simply to hear more about what you're up to clinically. Tell us where, what are the details, where they can go. So the easiest way to find me is my website, pelvicfloorbuffalo.com, B-U-F-F-A-L-O. So that's my website. There's a contact form. I have a blog that I highly recommend. I keep updating it. There's a lot of great free content that you can use as an individual or as a professional to even, you know, go off of. I'm also fairly active on social media. Um, You can find me on Instagram. My handle is at concierge pelvic floor that spelling got to me the beginning it is c-o-n-c-i-e-r-g-e concierge pelvic floor and i'm on facebook by the same handle i do have a youtube which i don't update again trying to not spread myself thin you will see me post there like once a month, once every couple of weeks, where I will kind of repackage my Instagram content for YouTube. And there's tutorials on various pelvic health topics, on meditation, on stretches and things like that. So that's where you can find me, my website, pelvicflowbuffalo.com, on Instagram and Facebook at Concierge Pelvic Floor. And I also have a YouTube channel by that very name. Mm. Okay, so there you have it, folks. All kinds of different ways that you can find Sujata, that you can check out all the great things that she's doing. And perhaps if you're looking for a source of inspiration and how you can redefine yourself, follow your heart, and go rogue in a way that lights you up and that feels really good. Sujata, thank you so, so much for your time, for your energy. This interview has been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, Melissa. Thank you so very much for doing this important work you do because us OTs we have so much to give and sometimes we are just hesitant and I love that by providing this platform you help OTs find each other and gain inspiration from each other so thank you so much for this my pleasure my pleasure okay all the best and we shall be in touch Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the OT's Gone Rogue podcast, where we're all about making deeper connections by leaning into the difficult conversations. Make sure you're subscribed if you haven't already, because we've got some more awesome episodes coming your way. Take care, and we'll see you next week.